Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt. This is CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. You can also get me on alanwattsentientsentinel.eu. Today is the 21st of June, 2007. So many topics to do spontaneous verbs because we live in a rapidly changing world, not an evolving world as by chance, but by simply the unfolding of very old, very meticulous and well-worked plans into existence. I doubt anyone's lived in the last few generations where the big major changes in their lives weren't designed long before they were born. In the 1700s, they, they talked around the time of the French Revolution about the world they would shape. These were elitists who employed members of the middle classes, the educated classes, to write these theories out into existence, to make it so, to stir up the people who then rebel and fight for a future which they thought would be a kind of utopia. For most people back then, any kind of system other than the one they had, had to be utopia because it was really coming out of a feudal system. That actually has never really happened. The feudal system is still alive and well. It's just that the king's men don't come out in armor and horses to collect their dues, their fees. Fee comes from few, feudal. They simply call it taxes and have governments to collect it for them. We've lived through the open announcement of public-private partnerships. Whatever they announce, you always find they've been doing for an awful long time. If you look into all the major corporations, especially the the car industries, auto industries, the, the aircraft industries, things like that, it's commonplace for every few years for them to declare near bankruptcy and be given a cash bailout, a gift. Because after all, if they go under, Britain or Canada or the U.S. is is going to lose all these jobs. That's what we hear. So they get bailed out. They get a a public-private deal made where the public pays for their losses and their maintenance, and the private shareholders reap the benefits, which is all profit. That's the real meaning of it. The feudal system was based on hereditary blood. In those days, they didn't say you had better genes. They just said you had better breeding because they'd always understood for thousands of years that their special traits came from selective, very specially chosen mating marriages chosen by priesthoods at that time who kept the genealogies of all royal and aristocratic offspring. Money and land and property came along with that uh, and it's hard for the average person today who can't reimagine really anything unless they see it on television that does all their imagining for them. But not so long ago, whole countries were given over in marriage with a future queen. Her dowry would be the country, or a country, or one of their countries. That was quite common. The people had no rights whatsoever, and like peoples in all ages, most of them for a long time thought that was just normal because it must be that way since they were born into it. They couldn't imagine any other way. 
which is an odd thing really if you understand that history is knowledge true history is knowledge not the whitewashed diluted especially selected little bits and bites we get today from history channels and things like that archives of history have existed in all ages for the elite to to read and study the ancient Greek philosophers talked about democracies for instance and republics and pointed out the benefits and the pitfalls of the various kinds of governments to the people of the middle ages of Europe who didn't know any of this stuff because most of them couldn't read or write they never heard the term before they all served and, and were owned by their kings and their queens who had deified themselves as basically gods on earth which hadn't again in ancient Egypt too where pharaohs were the representatives of gods and the aristocracy of Greece and other countries through their own myth making would also have the same stories that you must be a god descended from Achilles or wherever so that was quite common to myth make a genealogy based on descendancy from gods some modern writers who are well funded to spin you off into the fantasy land have taken that and uh, uh, pushed the myth until we have all kinds of weird and wonderful things in the past these people were men in the past that's all they were albeit primarily psychopathic men at least from the time of money and commerce the Phoenicians are an interesting people they had run the ancient world for the on the commercial side of things for hundreds and hundreds of years a couple of thousand odd years ago they had brought the tin from Cornwall in England through the Mediterranean and back to the various countries there so they'd add it with copper and make bronze for weaponry and yet for hundreds of years they kept it secret where they got this because the Phoenician sailors were fraternities and they were bonded they were sworn to keep secrets so there's nothing new in secret societies whatsoever the profane in all fraternities are the general population who take the world as it's been indoctrinated or presented to them via the media or education without question they take the time period they're living in quite naturally it could be as bizarre and it is actually bizarre but it could be even worse and yet a child being born into it if the parents aren't hyped up about it the child will take it for granted that this is the only natural there could possibly be therefore it's not difficult to guide generation after generation along a particular path towards a destination if you understand and control societies that can keep secrets and that also includes secret services that work for governments very important not to overlook that because that's they're also sworn sworn under penalty of imprisonment or death in times of war for disclosing secrets that's why they have official secrets acts you can't just walk away from these organizations and start opening your mouth or telling the public it doesn't happen that way going back to the times of the French 
and other revolutions, a world was envisaged where those who were fit to rule and be the overlords of the people, a new intelligentsia, the expert society, was heavily discussed. Various members of what became known as Freemasonry and illumined ones under many guises, many names, many different lodge names. It wasn't just Adam Weishaupt. He just opened his mouth a bit more than the rest. They talked about the society and how the profane, you know, those unenlightened ones, the general public, would be used. And that was a natural state of the world, the natural state, they claimed. It was the right of the lumined ones to feed off and direct the profane, those in the dark. And they have certainly done their best to keep everyone else in the dark. It's not difficult when you have a national, an international education association run by the United Nations. That's the function of the United Nations, is to direct the world along social policy lines into the new electronic prison. Once you have the mind electronically controlled, the whole world is therefore a prison. A prison from the prisoner's point of view, if they could possibly think, which they won't at the time, once that's happened, but certainly a utopia for an elite whose only problem has always been how to keep control of the people, how to give them enough bread and circuses. Lots has been written about it. Lots has been put out over the centuries on the agenda. We find the same thing with Karl Marx and Engels, who, whose job it was really was to give the dialectical counter to capitalism, paid by the capitalists to do so so that the synthesis, the third way, would come out of it, which was a blend of the fascists at the top with the bureaucratic, massive bureaucracies running a communistic Soviet-type public. That's already pretty well here. We think nothing about it, in fact, because we're so used to it. Uh, Some countries more so than others, where it's more prevalent you can't move today or do anything without permission from some government agency, whether it's replumbing your house. Uh, in Canada, it also comes down to having your furnace inspected by a government inspector before they'll even fill up your oil tank to a million and one other things. This is the new normal because, like Carl Jung said, he saw the lights of the world being, being the individual intellect being crushed ultimately by walls of bureaucracies. That's happened. Lenin talked about it because he was in on the whole hundred years leading up to the millennium. He knew that would be the time when these bureaucracies would be so big in the West that they'd all stand over on each other's toes. They all overlap, there's so many of them. And that's already here. Eventually there will be fights and arguments, um, and all you can creep into the news is one department of government or, or social services battles with another one, another rival, for the right to dictate or do whatever it is they do to the public. It's to be an age of chaos, purposely designed in the dialectical process to bring out a new way, a more precise way. And with that comes all the, the hype about this wonderful world we're coming into with electronic monitoring and how safe we will all be. Jax E. Lull was a great writer who 
had tremendous contacts in high governments of all over the world, in fact, and also at the United Nations. And he laid it on the line to do with the collection of data on the general public. He was the one who said that everyone since 1950 onward has had a complete personality profile kept on them in the Western countries, all Western countries, and that the public don't know and won't be told how this information and data is collected. Well, you see, it started with school. You didn't know you were being assessed all through school. Records are not destroyed. It's also done by collecting gossip, because people chat, you see. What's the easiest way to collect data on people? You just find the local gossips, and you also put plants in to little villages and towns and cities of semi-retired bureaucrats. I mean, they've been putting them in for years now. Who mix with you and lead little social organizations, little charitable organizations, but they collect all the data. And the Eastern Stars are very good at that. That's part of their job. That goes to police chiefs, and they put it in computer banks. We've been under observation for a long time. Those who created the revolutions in the 1700s and even before pushed the average person to fight for the revolution by elevating individualism, the rights of the individual over the rest, the freedoms of the individual person. They had to do that to get everyone to fight for them. And once they did it and thought that it succeeded, then of course it's reversed and you find they then start teaching their offspring in schools and universities that the individual is the problem. Therefore, individualism is a dangerous thing and can't be trusted. And if it's amongst you in society, it could cause problems. We have to monitor people. So it's left and right, left, right, punch drunk, all down through the ages as the dialectic is played out, all funded by the same sources, all sides. No one, no generation has accepted a form of totalitarianism sees anything wrong with it if they've had the correct indoctrination early enough. They will actually fight for the system because they've been heavily brainwashed and indoctrinated. Brainwashing does work and scientific indoctrination works very well when it's done at school. This is from the, the, the Telegraph Company UK from the 2nd of the 9th, 2006. And it says, Celebrity children will get database privacy by Sarah Womack, social affairs correspondent. It's interesting, even that we have social affairs correspondent, like a social worker correspondent, a PR, you know. Children of celebrities will be given special safeguards in a new database that will store details of every child in England and Wales. It was disclosed yesterday. It doesn't mention here that it's also in Australia and in New Zealand and everywhere else. And Canada. Minister says the contentious two-tier level of privacy will protect children of the rich and famous from intrusion. Again, some are more equal in such utopias than others. Addresses and telephone numbers of celebrities will be removed from the database if, for example, their children are deemed at risk of kidnap. But opponents of the £241 million Children's Index, a supposedly confidential system intended as an early warning system for children at risk of abuse. This is how they brought it in. They always bring it in 
with, well, you know, a plausible good reason, and then they give you the real reason. Remember Mandelhaus? House? And it said the move underlined their concerns about its security. In further embarrassment to the government, an independent report commissioned by Parliament's Information Commissioner and due to be published next month is understood to warn that the index is causing serious concern and is possibly unlawful. Huh. It's a bit too late now. Once I got on the books, you never see them getting scrubbed off. There are fears that it does not comply with the European Convention on Human Rights <laughs> and may contravene the Data Protection Act. The database to be introduced in 2008 follows the death of eight-year-old Victoria Kleinby in 2000 as a result of abuse by her great-aunt. Police, doctors and social workers had contact with Victoria as she suffered 120 injuries but failed to discuss the case with one another. So they always gave you an incident to, again this is a collective punishment you find for the Sovietized system, uh, they give you one incident in order to make everyone pay. Everyone is here for a suspect and, and you're, you're a possible criminal, you see. Everyone's a possible criminal, according to law. Files are held by, held by many bodies on the 11 million children in England and Wales, but the index will link the sensitive information in one database accessible to hundreds of thousands of officials. The officials you see come out of different wombs than the rest of us. You can trust them. I guess that's what it means in, in a two-tiered system. Schools, doctors, the police and private sector bodies will alert the system to such warning signals as low birth weight, poor exam results, and appearance depression or addiction. Hmm. Two warning flags on a children's record may trigger an investigation. Lord Adonis, I don't know who this Adonis, where did they get Adonis from? You know the old god Adonis and Adonai, the Hebrews took it as Adonai, meaning Lord. I don't know if this is a joke or what, but anyway, um, Adonai um, is also the Greek one. So Lord Adonis, so it's also a title the guy's been given with a fake name. The education minister told the House of Lords between 300,000 and 400,000 users will access the index. That's an awful lot of people who have access to it. Children who have a reason for not being traced, for example, where there's a threat of domestic violence, or where the child has a celebrity status, would be able to have their details concealed. Robert Whelan, the deputy director of the think tank, aha, another think tank, Civitas, said Lord Adonis's remark showed there were Legitimate concerns about the security of the index. The government is showing it has no confidence in this database, he said. There have been all these assurances it is secure, but how can we believe them now? I will tell you who will be off the register. The Blair's children, for an example, that is. This is just politicians protecting their own. Well, they do, because they're good psychopaths, you see. They have no shame or guilt or anything. And it's interesting, even with the GMO, the food, the modified uh, food, the genetically stuff, the, the, the Monsanto stuff. Uh, Blair made an exception for the parliamentarian's big, massive, what they call a cafeteria, which is like a massive rich restaurant. Uh, they can get natural food in there, but the rest of the public must take the, the modified stuff. The same with inoculations, by the way. Did you know that there are different types of inoculations from different manufacturers that you, they can order? Oh. doesn't give you the, the problems that the rest of the public have with theirs. And how is the government going to define celebrity? Oh, I guess I'll have a big think tank about that and hire about 10,000 bureaucrats to debate this. It could drag on for 10 years and people could make a whole lifetime salary on it. It is a very fluid term, an assembly of high-profile clergy, <laughs> disgraced politicians, topless models, pop singers and reality TV contestants. 
An education department spokesman said Laura Donis was making a general statement that children of violent parents, while their name will still be on the register, may have their address removed, or a child of a parent with celebrity status will have their address removed. The police may decide it is appropriate, or the police will decide. The police are acting as judge and jury here, which is what happens to all control freaks, ultimately. There will be extremely strict controls. No one other than practitioners will be able to access any information which will be minimal and is about allowing practitioners to make contact with each other when necessary. But in an interview for tomorrow's Channel 4 program, your kids, or even using kids there over now too, sell children, under surveillance, Professor Ross Anderson, an author of the report sent to the Information Commissioner, expressed concern about security, he says there will always be bent insiders. If you connect all these systems up and you've got over a million professionals needing to access this every day, it will all get out. And here they go again. Pedophiles, for example, can use a database to find out which children in their neighborhood are vulnerable and where they live. Well, they'll see what they'll find is that there's bureaucrats there who will sell it to them, this information to them. And he goes on to say, Jonathan Bamford, the Assistant Information Commissioner said the report he received was in children's databases generally. Not just the index, but some famous people's details could be excluded if a child is subject to a real risk or harm. Uh, so there you go. It's all, there's nothing new in this what's passed off as news. It's just the same old scam con games as we go into more totalitarianism. If you notice, you see, the public get no choice, no chance to debate anything. The public have no no say in anything at all in the system. We have no say at all on any issue. Experts take over and do it all for us that we don't even elect. There's always experts pulled out the hat to tell us what to think. We don't debate it ourselves on any single topic. And of course that will never happen because, you see, you're not living in a free world. You never have been living in a free world. You've always been under authority, planned authority of a system which tries to keep itself fairly quiet as to who is actually leading it. But it's run by think tanks, paid by big banks and foundations. And if you want to know the big guys who are heavily involved, just look at the top people in the foundations. They're all high-ranking Freemasons. That's a common link worldwide in every country. You go into the Freemasons, hire books, see what they forecast, read the writings of the founding fathers of the U.S. You'll find uh, many of them were up there in Freemasonry, and they wanted a confederated world. I, I, I'm amazed at, at the, the modern American mind who's been brainwashed with really fictional propaganda in school, and its history comes from Hollywood, and they never read their founding fathers' books or letters for themselves. They'll read about them by some modern author, but they won't read anything by these people for themselves. If they did, they'd find out that Franklin and Thomas Jefferson talked about this being the nucleus, they hoped, for a a, a federated world, a world system. Ultimately, ultimately, through different phases, ultimately to be led by a council of twelve wise men, all high Freemasonry occultic masonry it's beyond the blue sky where everything's in the open of the low masonry that they haven't a clue that's the world as it really is we're being guided planned and regulated and driven and long ago the high illumined ones decided that the general public in all ages were just sheep who are very base 
and therefore must be guided by those who are better equipped with a better brain box. Now I think it's very sad that the ordinary people who have no concept of continuity of people's or migrations in history, including their own, don't see what's happening today. They, they, all they see really is what affects them personally, and then they complain. Now I've got squirrels that do this in my area. The squirrels, if you go near their, wherever their little home is, they come out there and they chatter away on the branches there and uh, make an awful noise because you're encroaching on their territory. And yet we're all here, we're all here, in where it's Europe or the US or wherever, because migrations occurred all down through time, especially since money came along in armies and people were thrown off their lands. Uh, migrations were very, very common. Today the target uh, happens to be the Mexicans. The Mexicans have been prepared for this and been getting prepared for this by big, again, corporations and high government departments in all countries for the NAFTA deal and so on. But they've been getting prepared for this for a hundred odd years, this union. Europe was being worked on for that too. They needed wars to get Europe together. Winston Churchill talked about it. Other ones talked about it. H.G. Wells talked about it. They had to have wars to make it so. So they, they created their wars. In the United States, early in the 1900s, they talked about it. They even had a huge Masonic meeting in Pennsylvania at the Philosophical Society's uh, main base. The Rosicrucians held it, and, and all the lodges of masonry came in to attend it. And it talked about uniting the eagles of America and Mexico back together again, as it should be, they said. It didn't go over too well, all the propaganda at the time in the newspapers, so they went back to the drawn board and occupied us with other affairs for a while. But they didn't stop, because they never stop and never change their plans. That's one thing you can be assured of. When you think you've fought something and won, you better be watching for the rest of your life because they'll always come back. They, their business plans are never thrown out the window. They don't go back to the drawing board. They simply come at it from a different direction. And often the one that you attack, in fact, the, the bill or whatever it happens to be, is a feint. They call it a feint in boxing. It's a false throw. You're not looking at the real punch that's coming around the side of your head. So they'll often throw you a, a feint out there or a trial balloon while the real one is tucked into some omnibus bill that you don't even know about till it's passed. Britain, the great worker of lodges, the Grand Lodge really is an extension of the British elite establishment or the real government in Britain. Everyone swears allegiance to the Crown. Every bureaucrat does too in Commonwealth countries. Every politician does as well. Every policeman, every person in the military does. And there are many forms of masonry, each one with a particular function to accomplish in the higher realms of things. The Cecil Rhodes, for instance, only one instance was one person funded from the big banking sources that also funded and ran the, the Bank of England to put up a, what appeared to be a private organization with the intent of taking over the wealth of Africa. They took over the diamonds and the gold and everything else in Africa. That was the purpose of it. And yet, because it technically seemed 
to be a private organization, which Rhodes himself said would have to work along the same principles as the Jesuits, a brotherhood with secrets and passwords and signs and all the rest of it, and the ability really to create tremendous deception. Deception is the word for them. The appearance would always be misleading, of, or their direction would always appear to be misleading. What they did in Africa was to create wars with South Africa, with the Boers. And lo and behold, Britain eventually had to go in to, to save the settlers that were being attacked now. A war had started, a war started by this apparent private organization. That's how it was done. Rather than have Britain overtly coming out and declaring war on the Boers, they used that excuse to get into the war. You need something private, or appeared to be a private organization. So really they were working for the real elite, the real establishment that really runs England. The ones who are never heard of by the public, the people who are never elected Because democracy is a sham for the public to believe in. Part of the offshoot of Cecil Rhodes was to create an organization in the Americas. It was uh, the Anglo-American establishment, they called it at the time, which turned out later to be the Council on Foreign Relations. The British side of it was the Royal Institute of International Affairs, another seemingly private but incredibly well-funded organization that, does, that also has members who are politicians and high-level bureaucrats. They're the ones who have openly stated in, on the Canadian media that they drew up the plans for the American Union, and that was on national television here, before Bush and Martin and Fox signed it into law in 2005 at Waco before they had the little PR stroll for the cameras that was drafted up by the Council in Foreign Relations a proud boast the first time they came out publicly as a panel representing the Council in Foreign Relations and admitting it quite the boast well before that it was just referred to quietly as the, the Anglo-American establishment the Council on Foreign Relations and the Royal Institute. Now, Colonel Mandel House, his title was actually honorary, was the advisor, the main man, the real mover and shaker behind President Wilson, the guy who pushed for the Federal Reserve and everything else, worked with the bankers, this whole uh, cooperative private organization. But he was uh, an advisor. Advisors are more powerful and more important than presidents because they're not elected but they do know their part in the agenda Colonel House had brought forth a proposal for a pan-American union in the early 1900s and I'll just grab this book, a book on the shelf I think it's a page uh, 191 I think yeah this book is the intimate papers of Colonel House arranged as a narrative by Charles Seymour Sterling Professor of History Yale University 1926 this is published by Houghton Mifflin Company yeah yeah, page 191 right enough says here Colonel House's conception of such a policy was far-reaching. He believed that the time had passed when the United States could pose effectively as a protector of all the American states, and he wanted to bring about a definite, friendly understanding with the great South American states upon the basis of an equal partnership. He realized acutely the feeling in South America hostile to the United States and based upon the consciousness that the Monroe Doctrine the Monroe Doctrine, as they interpreted it, was thoroughly one-sided and accordingly distasteful to Latin American sensibilities. If it could be transformed into a common policy, 
and a common responsibility in which all American states participated, it would, House insisted, benefit the United States no less materially than morally. Such a partnership, he believed, might develop into a league for the preservation of peace and tranquility in the Americas and would be of the utmost service in handling situations such as had arisen in Mexico. Now, that wasn't the first time it had been brought up by the same people. He goes on to say, This ambitious plan, reminiscent of Blaine's pan-American proposals that was much earlier, carried another even more ambitious as its inevitable consequence. A general pan-American pact was bound to interest the European powers, some of which, such as the British Empire, were also American powers. House was one of the few persons in the United States who realized before the war as World War I, how thoroughly the previous 30 years had altered our relations with Europe and made of the United States, intellectually and economically, one of the family of world powers. Now, going back a little bit, such a partnership, he believed, might develop into a league. Now, that's like the League of Nations, the League for Europe, the League for the Americas, and the League of Nations, which became the United Nations for the preservation of peace and tranquility in the Americas. And it would also do, um, it would also, it says here, the word partnership, such a partnership. You know, what Booth said recently? It was a partnership for peace and prosperity. That's the part that uh, was missing in Monroe's, that they, they have the same thing on the books, so they add on prosperity and reparrot the same thing. He says here, political companionship, like the word the terms they use are so wonderful, he was convinced must follow. Never lacking in boldness, he was willing to accept the consequences. And just as he felt that the mythical protectorate of the Monroe Doctrine should be transformed into an American partnership, so he believed that the legend of political isolation from Europe was the outworn remnant of an age that was past. What he wanted was some sort of cooperative understanding with the great European powers that might help to preserve the peace of the world in which the United States had vital material interest. This conviction was not lessened by his realization that the European situation was critical and might at any moment result as in a general European war. And it goes on and on and on. So you should read this book, Intimate Papers of Colonel House, it's uh, it's quite fascinating, really, but it, it was when the first time you read it, you know, when you're five or six, but, but it gets kind of boring when you see so many books printed about the same thing by the peoples who were the actual main players at the time. The European Union, the American Union, and the Far Eastern Union, and even the African Union are all old plans that have never gone away They've been worked on by the same organizations, which are all connected, for well over a hundred years. We're simply living through the next phase of, as they actually complete it. And it took wars to get us all to accept it bit by bit by bit. If we'd accepted it all back in 1903, they, they wouldn't have had the wars. And that's a fact. Remember again what Cecil Rhodes talked about a, a society based on the Jesuit structure. And what does the Jesuits say? The end justifies the means. In other words, you use anything and everything possible to make it so. Wars are part of it. Quigley again said, You can get more done in five years of war in a social scale with changes than you can in 50 years of peace just with basically propaganda the main go-between from Britain to the US at that time was Viscount Grey a member of the Milner Group and the Rhodes Society And his contact in the U.S. was Mandel House, who was advisor to the president. In other words, he was the boss. Lots happened back then 
to shape where we are today. And these fellows had no problem with devising wars to make things happen if we wouldn't buckle under. H.G. Wells, again, who was paid to write predictive programming for the public towards the world government, this world government, in nine, just before he died, in fact, after World War II, said the people still haven't submitted uh, to world government. We need another war. He would have gone on and on if he got his way, if he had more power, because he was a bit nuts anyway. But that's what we're dealing with here. Nothing happens by chance. Nothing. Just like the, the Twin Towers, the Jackin and Boas, which was knocked down. At a fortunate time for those who'd written before it that they needed something on a Pearl Harbor event-type scale to motivate the public into a war. Boy, these guys are good with their luck. I bet they'd win the lotto every time they played because whatever they predict they'd like to happen, their wish list, bingo, it happens. Just like that. And they have their little wars in exactly the countries they said they'd have to have wars with. That's luck for you, isn't it? And now we're under more oppression, at least on the books at the moment, although it's creeping into reality now. In a totalitarian-style manner than we've ever seen in any tyranny in history. When you look at all the laws that are on the books, something that's been in the making for centuries and centuries is coming to fruition. I always remember Albert Pike who said, we never start a premature revolution. Now he's talking from their point of view, the guys who run this system. And they call what they do revolutions. Most of them are bloodless, but not all. That's why you had the cultural revolutions and the sexual revolutions and the feminist revolutions and etc., etc. These are changes in society to alter society along a particular agenda. The Club of Rome called their book the final revolution, or the first revolution they called it, I think. First global one. Because this is a war for the globe now, you see where every country must be standardized along the same way, with the same system, with the same culture, as we go into the next phase after that. All planned way ahead, generations ahead always. That's what we're living in. This is the reality we live in. For those who watch television, it's ta-ta, see you later, goodbye, because their brains are not there. They're being scrambled by the television. They've been debased and dehumanized by television on a daily basis given as fair with programs and psychological techniques that were designed in big tanks like Tavistock, big think tanks. And your famous six o'clock news guy is not going to come out and tell you what I'm telling you. The time is getting short. We're on a roll. And when they bring out the, the big heavy hand, when the, the velvet glove comes off the fist, we're going to be in big trouble the world over. Some parts of the world already are. As we munch away and watch her television and get entertained with her bread and circuses. Other countries are going under the hammer and have been for years as they get moulded into the standardised system and their children are taken from them to be educated with UNESCO of the United Nations into common culture to break the cycle of parent to child oral tradition and history.
that won't fit in with the necessary gullible, ill-educated society, inoculated society with a low IQ necessary to bring about all the changes that are going to come down. You don't want an intelligent, functioning society during that period. They're already spraying you with chemicals and, I'm sure, tranquilizers. And sure enough, it's happened in some countries like Holland, they've admitted now, there they're spraying the skies on main media, mainstream. And, which I expected, it said, it'd say, well, it's to stop global warming. There's always a good reason, and then there's a real reason. But they won't tell you the real reason. Now, it's odd that they were spraying the skies in the 1990s, before all the hype about global warming came up, before all the Kyoto stuff, so who would authorize it then, huh? if that was the purpose or the case? Because it takes donkey's years for bureaucrats and big departments to get working on anything. So they began in earnest, say, in Ontario in 98, daily almost. How many years were they preparing for this spray? Because they started spraying and have never let up on a worldwide basis. That's a lot of stuff to store up and plan. It didn't, so this was not done for global warming. But it'll be good enough for the TV addicts. After all, the television, like Brzezinski said, is there to do their reasoning for them. That's the real world that we're living in. The only ones who are really suffering are those who understand. They say that ignorance is bliss, but those who are ignorant eventually go the way of the abattoir. We mustn't do the predictable reaction in history. This happened before because that's what they want. They are the masters of war. Our war must be of a different kind and it must take us off in another direction, not the one or the planned synthesis from a general unregulated, uncoordinated rebellion we must direct it off into something which nobody really knows where it's going to end up, but it will be different from the one planned, which is oblivion of the human mind, because brain implants and chips, as I've said themselves, will take away any individuality. You'll have no ability to recognize yourself or think of even the word I. You will no longer exist as such. You'll be the Borg. That's a fact, it's published, it's been discussed in world science meetings. Where we must go is somewhere unplanned, where a humane system comes in, a humane system where the deviants and the psychopaths are not in control, where the control freaks are not in control either. We must find a new way. Going back to the American Revolution, as I say, prior to that, people didn't know what rights were. It was a strange thought to have rights coming out of a feudal-type society. But it was not supposed to end there. It was also supposed to go on till people could live together with people, to be well-educated, not to have some facts because some facts will give you distorted reasoning. You need all facts presented to you. And that was the hope then, that one day there'd be a world where individuals could truly be free as individuals and live in harmony without dominating others. That's what the hope was. And the American Revolution really was only to be the beginning of that part of it.
It's not a time to go around like a crazy person in panic and fear. It's time to keep cool heads. But for people who understand what is happening in this world, to speak out at all levels. And for those who help the, the, the pathocrats at the top, remember, your families will suffer when this goes any further. You yourself will suffer. And it's time to start speaking out and altering the course that we're on. From Hamish and myself, it's good night. And may your God or your gods go with you. Back to the other side of the coin, if I remember the words. Come as close as the air And share in a memory of grace And wander in my word Dream about the pictures that I play Of changes Green leaves of summer turn red Brown and to yellow they fade And then they have to die Trapped within the circle time parade Of changes Scenes of my young years Were warm in my mind Visions of shadows that shine Till one day I returned And found they were the victims of the vines Of changes The world spinning madly It drifts in the dark Swings through a hollow of hay A race around the stars Journey through the universe ablaze with changes. Moments of magic will glow in the night. All fears of the forest are gone But when the morning breaks They're swept away by golden drops of dawn Of changes Passions will part to a strange melody as fires will sometimes burn cold Like petals in the wind We're puppets to the silver strings of souls Of changes Your tears will be trembling Now we're somewhere else One last cup of wine we will pour And I'll kiss you one more time And leave you on the rolling river shores Of changes So sit by my side Come as close as the air And share in a memory of gray and wander in 
my words Dream about the pictures that I play 